Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I am Jackson Wood, joined as always by my partner and my friend, Ryan Kruger. After listening to, I don't know, like 87 episodes of Mailbox Money, it dawned on me the other day that Ryan is incredibly good at teaching valuable lessons and stories through telling stories. So I searched the internet far and wide to find, and what I think I found is an incredibly inspiring story that I've been able to extract three or four very important principles that we can implement and act on regardless of age, income, net worth. Um, and so we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell this story. And, uh, this one made me smile and I actually fell down the rabbit hole of looking at, at vintage photos on Google, which was, which was kind of fun. We're going to share a couple of these vintage style photos, uh, with you for those of you watching on YouTube. Um, but the title of the episode is $70 million to charity. And while that's an incredible amount of money, when you learn the backstory of who gave that and how he amassed that much money, it becomes even more powerful and more inspiring. So rewind the clock all the way to 1924 and enter into the screen and into the story, Mr. Theodore R. Johnson, right? So Mr. Johnson was the person at the end of his life in 1991, when he was age 90, that gave $70 million to charity. But the most impressive part of this is that he never made more than $14,000 a year. So if you're like me and you're doing the math in your head, $14,000 a year, even adjusted for inflation, how in the world does that add up to $70 million that he's able to give away through his foundation? Um, it's pretty, pretty shocking. So Mr. Johnson, uh, started in 1924 for a tiny West Coast outfit, private company back then, that we still use today. In fact, he they ring my doorbell more times during the week than I'd like to admit. But he started working for a tiny company back then called the United Parcel Service, right? Which surprisingly, even back then in 1924, they had the same brown trucks. Now they looked a little different these were the, you know, the skinny old tires. I'm surprised they didn't have wooden spokes on, on, the, on the wheel. But he started working for UPS back in 1924. Um, when he retired, he was the VP of Industrial Relations in 1952. So I did the math on this, and he actually, it surprised me, he retired earlier than I would have thought. He was younger than I thought. And despite retiring earlier, moving to Florida, raising a family on his very small salary, he was able to give $70 million to charity, which that was shocking to me. Ryan has shared some math on previous episodes of big corporate, uh, corporate accounts that hold, you know, corporate stock. And when it, it goes, you know, up in price, they have these monster charity, uh, donations are able to give and all the good that they can do. And this one is, is personal here. It was shocking to me that just the math there of $14,000 salary, but giving this amount of money, I wanted to, I wanted to boil this down and I wanted to know what it was exactly that he did and how he got to that point, because that's, that's pretty shocking on top of retiring early. 
and something to consider as I love the story for a lot of different reasons. I think the mindset for a lot of early savers is, is I'll wait and get serious about saving in those big boring dividend paying companies later when I have more money. Now it's hand to mouth or I'll wait to give to charity later. Um, when I'm wealthy now, I need every penny I get. I would submit maybe, you know, good luck and good fortune in a world of abundance collides with us when we don't wait. Um, and I, I was in an office with my pastor this past week with goosebumps, catching tears, talking about a project and changing lives and, and giving and leaning in a little bit with time and not just treasure or money. And one thing led to another. And I would just submit that good luck does tend, the, the, the service area does tend to increase. Um, and some of these things happen for wonderful reasons. And I would submit as we're thinking about this, um, to not wait um, for either the selfish saving, because the compounding that we're about to talk about adds up considerably, or the giving. And maybe one thing compounds and leads and grows to another, I've noticed. I love that. And uh, I think you hit on a couple things, which is, you know, there, there's a tendency when you're young to invest in, in these more growth focused companies while conveniently you kind of ignore and you make the switch later on. We like to start that from the very beginning. And then also obviously have this, this mind for charity and doing good from the beginning and you collide. Karma will collide for you and it will, it will make the entire plan better. Um, so as I, as I read through this story, I read about this in the New York times. I read about this on a couple different websites. Um, Mr. Johnson had a mentor. And they didn't give the name of the mentor. I tried to look it up, but his mentor gave him uh, some advice. You know, this is, this is kind of boiling it down to how Mr. Johnson was able to do this. And his mentor said to him right at the very beginning, you need to save at least 20% of your pay. And Mr. Johnson said back to him, said, I don't, I don't think I can do that. You know, I, you know, I'm raising a family here in California. Like I, I want to live. And the mentor simply said back to him, yes, you can and left it at that, which I thought was some very blunt and bold advice. And uh, Mr. Johnson had nothing to say back to that. So he just figured out a way to do that. And while you know we want to create the, these lasting legacies, um, you have to kind of set the framework up so that you can allow that to happen and allow, you know, allow yourself to reach your freedom day before you know, you're, you're into your 70s and you wanna be able to give to your family and give, give to, uh, to donations. One thing I forgot to say, that was my favorite part of the story. The $70 million that he gave on top of setting up trusts for his kids and his grandkids and his nephew was directed for scholarships for families that could not afford to send their kids to school. And that still exists today. It's paying dividends and it's sending kids to school every single day. So by the power of saving 20%, and, and it doesn't have to be you know exactly 20%, more is better, um, but you have to you have to understand this process of saving money, paying yourself first. Um, it's going to help you down the road immensely, and you're going to see the full benefits of that. 
uh, down the road, right? So of course, one thing to be said here is that there's obviously some survivorship bias, right? While investing, what he did was he invested into the company stock and every chance he got, he would buy more of it and he let it grow and he let it compound and he reinvested the dividends. Um, you don't have to invest in one single stock to make this happen. There are lots of companies out there that are similar, that boost their dividend. And we've talked to the, you know, uh, plenty about this process in our stock selection process, but he was able to, with discipline, continually invest and save the money, right? So it creates, um, one thing that I liked about this as well is that it creates this kind of blueprint for frugal living. Now, when I say the word, and I think this is worth talking about a little bit, frugal, a lot of people will immediately kind of, you know, push back on that and they'll say, well, I want to make sure I live my life. I want to be comfortable. What I mean and what I think the, the meaning of this in this context is of frugal is simply just don't live beyond your means. Ryan's best quote that has stuck with me for years now is if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. We showed a couple of examples and charts last week of credit card debt in the US reaching $1 trillion for the first time at the highest interest rates being charged that we have seen in close to 10 years, right? So creating this mindset of just living on what you have and saving a portion of it is incredibly powerful, regardless of you know how much money you've already saved, regardless of what your salary is, um, whether you're you know, well into your career or if you're just beginning, these these core, boring, repetitive principles are what made this story happen. And think of the lives that Mr. Johnson changed by having this foundation with $70 million dedicated to school. I can't even imagine what that has done for families across the U.S. Uh, okay, so now I personally wanted to boil this down into four actionable principles that we can take and use in, in, our, um, in our finances and in our behavior, right? Um, the first one, obviously we've talked about this to exhaustion, to the point of exhaustion almost, but pay yourself first. Now there's a lot of, and I wanna just kind of inject a couple of stories uh, from my, um, my time here working for our partners. Um, I always recommend prioritizing a savings goal as one of the first things that you do. And in my, um, in my work and in my career, those that prioritize savings are the ones that are able to build their accounts over time. Those that say, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna go through my, you know, my life month to month or quarter to quarter, and whatever I come up with at the end, I'm gonna save that. I don't know about you, Ryan, but I just, I haven't seen the highest success rate with that strategy as opposed to prioritizing, paying yourself first and getting that out of the way. You've gotta, you've gotta stick to it. And, and um, it's remarkable how powerful that can become. And, and you know, in our you know, spectrum of, of people that we deal with significant levels of wealth or just starting out on their journey fresh in their 20s, um, this is where you, you start to make progress beyond baseline and what really can change a lot of lives. Now, the second one, invest regularly. So I've got a, a couple recommendations I'm gonna put in the description box here, um, but investing regularly. So boiling down, paying yourself first, what does that actually mean, right? We don't wanna just have all that money, 
go into an account and you forget about it for years, you need to invest it. And you've, you've heard us talk a lot about our investment strategy of getting paid when you sleep and owning companies in your sacred portfolio that are growing their dividend year over year over year. But investing regularly is kind of the second evolution of that, which is once you've decided to pay yourself first and you're living on you know 80% of your income or whatever that amount is for you, you have to set up these strategies to invest. And I think modern 401ks, modern IRAs, modern brokerage accounts have made this easier than ever before to, you know, to invest. In fact, one of the things that, that just popped into my mind is that 401k plans through employers used to be opt-in, right? And so if you got a job, you had to volunteer to sign up for these, right? And then again, you had to volunteer that once you funded this account, this retirement account, you had to then commit that money into an investment strategy and kind of go through these different steps. Well, this entire uh, framework and this entire um, process changed. It is now an opt-out process. So because of the benefits of this, instead of opting in to get the full advantage, you have to now opt out. And I thought that that was an interesting kind of psychological shift. And I would say that that's how you should set up your own finances. Now, I know that this may sound like it's focused on you know, younger people are just starting out. But I wanted to talk for a second about how important this is for those of you that have already reached your freedom day and you're living on, you know, you're living on your investment income. It is in incredibly important for those of you uh, that have already reached your freedom day, you're already done working to also be saving some of your take home pay. We've seen it time and time again, where there's unexpected things that you're going to have to pay for, medical expenses or charitable giving that you want to give, you know, opportunities that you run into randomly. If you have this pay, your, pay yourself first mentality and you've automated that money to go into a well-diversified portfolio of dividend growth companies, that's how you have increased flexibility. And so as, as much as you will see people talk about, you know, talk about these concepts to young investors, I think it's equally as important to talk about this for those of you that have already reached your freedom day so that you have this you know, growing pile of, of cash reserves and growing investment balance um, to handle anything that, that life can throw at you giving. I'm not there yet, Ryan, but I'm sure, and I'm not saying you are, but I'm sure that you know, my cost of daycare and preschool is not, you know, might shift forms a little bit. Um, you know, I won't have to pay for daycare at some point, but as kids get older and as they get into college, I'm sure there are expenses that I'm not even thinking of in my mind that I'm going to want to have some cash and some money, some funds available for um, down the road. And I don't think that those surprises really ever go away. Well, one thing stays consistent. It's the same truck that delivers for all ages. Uh, <laughs> it shows up at, at, at all of our doors um, that, that captured your attention this week. I love that. Okay. So the first one, pay yourself first. Second, once we've decided to do that, you need to invest regularly. You need to have a set strategy. That's where financial planning really comes in and where it can, can uh, you know, put that money to work. Um, the third one, now this one's a little hard, gets a little emotional. Um, and we've talked about this before in recent podcasts, but the third one is be patient, right? In today's day and age where you can buy something on Amazon and that brown truck shows up literally five hours later to deliver the, the good that you purchased, um, you have to be patient. These wealth building strategies and these, co these compounding effects take significant amount of time. Um, 
this morning when I looked at the market, I got a little whiplash as I saw what was going on, you know, to the upside with market. But it it that is that's kind of the exact point I'm trying to make. In order to take full advantage of this compounding, you have to patiently stick to your investment strategies. You have to hold on to your investments. You can't waver. You can't flip-flop from one strategy to the next. There's so much data out there that shows that these these strategies can take time. Um, I was just thinking about this the other day. So as I was doing end of year reviews for partner portfolios, I was looking at contribution amounts and then I was looking at at uh, account performance. And there were a couple where um, the growth in the portfolio just from their already invested money was greater than their contributions. And in fact, I saw a couple that where that their growth in the in the portfolio exceeded the total amount of the portfolio. And so one of the things that I think about often is how good we are as humans at thinking linearly. You know, my son comes home and has to do his math homework and he's really good at, you know, one plus one plus one or two plus two. And he can kind of go through that line, you know, for five or six different, different sets here. But once we started introducing multiplication and I tried to run him through that, that same number of equations, you know, two times two times two, he started having to slow down and get the calculator out and type it in and figure it out because our, our brains are wired to think very linearly. But after this compounding effect and the exponential effect um, starts to occur in the account, you really it really becomes mind boggling. And so that that's really what we saw with Mr. Johnson, right? $14,000 a year salary. He bought some UPS stock. He put money into his portfolio. It took, I can't even imagine how little change he saw for the first maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years of the portfolio, you know, of his investment. But then think about that, that kind of strategy as it, as it grows. There was more money that he would gain in a single day or by a single dividend payment than he ever made cumulatively in his entire career from his salary. So that's an incredibly important part. I know it's easier said than done. Um, but sticking to your investment strategies, having data to back up your investment strategy, and then watching this compound effect go into, you know, go into full force is really the goal here. This is, this is incredibly important. And, and the compounding effect of those dividends, it took me a little while to realize your strategy shouldn't change or get more complex and the number of different products and solutions shouldn't grow as your wealth does. What I love sharing about that story is whether you're beginning, as you talked about saving and the power of even small numbers adding up. If you ask somebody closer to the finish line who was able to give aggressively away and still be able to enjoy not frugally living on anything he or she wants to do with their family, it's the same simple math and, and UPS is a perfect example rather than pick cherry pick big winners. Here's a company that did not make it through our selection criteria over the last several years. We don't own it. It hasn't done very well. And yet I would notice if you are Jackson's buddy that he's talking about or someone that we don't know that bought it 10 years ago and oh my gosh, it's underperformed. It hasn't done that great all sorts of issues, you know, the dividend today alone is greater than any of the safe withdrawal rates, complex financial planning tools 
for a retiree. Of course, you know, if you've listened to this before, we believe in something much more powerful and healthy and inspiring than any retirement where you pull assets and hoped for profits, which is not a plan. It's a prediction. Rather, living on free cash flow, you know, the dividend today, whether it be five, 10 years ago of underperformance, nothing terribly great about the stock, you're still at 6% plus mailbox math on that dividend. Um, you're doing just fine. It's something we don't know. It hasn't done that well. Kind of a worst case scenario. There's a lot not to like about the stock right now. I happen to think it's it's interesting and it's worth watching. But here's just a very conservative, non-cherry-picked example on the high end where somebody is, they're, they're giggling at any problems about the economy or macroeconomic forecasts or interest rates. They're getting paid six plus percent on their original investment from a few short years ago. It's better than bonds. It's better than a plan. And that's a stock that is not even good enough for us. And it's still more than fine. I share that on the other side, if you're just beginning, where I say, when I said last week's episode, and we got some great feedback, and I really appreciated it. I, it meant a lot to me to share that story. And I'm teaching a class on it in a couple of days. And I can't wait to blow some young kids away with the example of how accessible this should be. When I said the stock market is rigged, for the small guy or gal, what I meant was if, if you can just imagine with forget 70 million, your first $70 to be able to employ 330,000 drivers to circle the globe and work their tails off while you sleep or play. Or if you get really inspired about saving and compounding, I go back to work and want to save even more, which I think is the real magic here employing those businesses around the clock to work for you in that first $70, I just believe is endlessly fascinating to think about. And, and when you, your head hits the pillow to smile, knowing that 330,000 drivers are working for you today. And that's one company. I believe in a roster of companies across industries. So you never are leaning to one side or the other. You're never predicting the next great sector. And these businesses, while doing all sorts of good, and whether they be inspired by giving or making more money, which I don't think is mutually exclusive and greedy capitalists giving a lot of money away, I think that's the good and underreported aspect of capitalism. UPS has one of my favorite stories of efficiencies and, and the things that don't stay the same, but they improve while you sleep. The nerdy math in me. Um, I always make my teen drivers giggle when we talk about driver safety. Jackson Wood, I'm going to put you on the spot since you've got one on your way to more. Teen drivers, here is a stat for you of all car wrecks, what percent occur during a left turn? Oh, a left turn? 50 plus percent, I'm guessing. I don't know. You're good. 60%. Yeah, there we go. What percent during a right turn? Twenty-five. Three. Oh, okay. So UPS said, let's get greedy. No more left turns. Fun little <laughs> fact. And by the way, I talked to my delivery guy. I actually yeah. hug him every week. I've always said, 
give me five minutes with any delivery guy over 50 minutes with an economist. And I'll tell you more <laughs> about what's actually happening in the economy. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, they're typically hardworking, wonderful people. Um, we talk every single week. I do not talk to our bank custodians, macroeconomic forecast ever. Um, UPS said, let's cut out left turns. Let's get more efficient. They save more than 1 million gallons of fuel per month after that one little bitty decision based on data. Wow. Any early saver could do the same about paying themselves first as your simple advice today, which with profound results or even the most sophisticated investor that's surrounded and lives and breathes this stuff for 27 years, like this big kid right here. If I can take one cut or turn out of the math, and maybe it's those same dividend stocks and getting more tax efficient, when we wrap that same exact strategy into an ETF, never assuming we have the best answers, always wondering, is there a way to squeeze out a little more efficiency? No left turns. I love that. That's number four now. No left turns allowed. Get more efficient. Be patient. Invest regularly. Pay yourself first. And then the fifth one here that I think goes without saying, but it's important, especially as we get to one of my favorite times of the year, give back, right? Make sure you have a plan to give back. Include that in your financial future. It's rewarding. The way I thought about this is a person is not really on an island, right? While a large part of your individual success and in, in what you accomplish is due to your individual drive and how hard you work, it's also a result of the environment that we are in and that we are lucky enough to live in right now with efficiencies and with just the beautiful capitalism in effect. Um, and so use some of that success to give back and to bless the lives of other people. And uh, Mr. Johnson's example of sending countless kids to college, paying for it with his endowment and his, uh, you know, his foundation, um, you know, whatever it happens to be, that is an incredibly powerful part of that. And uh, I, I've recently come into some stories from from our partners of of taking money out of their precious accounts to give to family members and nieces and nephews and buying cars, and it it hits me. And um, to be honest with you, I, I find that they're more motivated when they're doing those types of things and giving money away than, they've, than I've ever seen them when they're taking you know, a, a third trip to Mexico or buying themselves a new car or putting new hardwood floors in their house. The, the light that shines through them when they have come to me and said, I need some money to give it away. Um, it's unlike any other experience that I have at this table, you know, meeting with meeting with clients knee to knee. So I, I hope that we can all take examples and stories from from this um, from this this story of Mr. Johnson and, and we can implement it in our lives. And and the thing that I just want to emphasize is that this is applicable regardless of if you're just starting out fresh out of school with your first job and your first investment, you know, first 70 bucks to invest or you're, you're already there and you're managing you know, your pile of money, this advice is applicable and powerful and profound. So with that, if anybody out there has any questions, um, you can email us 
can reach out to our team. You can, you can read all of our writing and get access to all of our content on our website, which is freedomdaysolutions.com. And with that, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.